right. Hey, thanks for letting us uh, kind of look at the past and, and look at our current impact and then celebrate even some things today. And hopefully what I get to do in the message is, is admonish us a little bit and hopefully challenge us some so that we can uh, keep doing the things that Jesus would want us to do. But I also hope to share some things that we're really working on this year and, and some things that we hope to focus on in the year to come. Does that sound all right? Excellent. How many of you feel called to do ministry? I want you to raise your hand. How many of you feel called to do ministry? Hands up high. Don't, don't be ashamed. Let me see. Perfect. All right. All right. That's, uh, that's going to be an important question because we're going to look at it here in a few moments. Uh, I'll ask it again. All right. So remember if you raised your hand or not. Can you do that? Yeah. Excellent. All right. Good. Good. We've been talking about Mountain View's mission for the past few weeks. And what I want to do is I want to test you one more time. I tested you last week. I want to test you this week. All right. How many of you can tell us what Mountain View's mission is without looking? Are you ready? One, two, three. Let me help you with the cheat sheet. All right. Maybe. There you go. All right, you ready? Now tell me again on the count of three with a little bit more enthusiasm, like this is really awesome and, and the best like mission statement ever written, known to man, all right? One, two, three. Oh. Sometimes I like second service so much better. Sometimes better than first service, all right? Sometimes. There you go. Man, I love this because this is really the heartbeat of what we're trying to do. For six years, we've been putting this in front of you over and over and over and over again. And it's really our ability or our, our attempt to define what Jesus instructed his disciples to do, to go into the world, to make disciples, to teach them, to baptize them. And God even promised, I will be with you always to the very ends of the age if you do these things. And so for us, this is just the heart of it, right? We want to affect life change. Have you ever tried to change anybody? And how successful were you at changing somebody? All right, it usually doesn't work, but you know what? We know who can change people, and who can change people is Jesus. And so we want people to encounter Jesus, and when they encounter Jesus, they can't help but have their lives changed, right? How do we do that? Through belonging, growing, and serving. Sound good? Now, there's this great verse where Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4. This is what it says. He gave the apostles and he gave the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. How many of you have ever heard this verse before? All right, good. How many of you rose your hands and said, I've been called to ministry? All right, good. All right, how many of you did not raise your hand saying, I've been called to ministry? All right, that's, that's good. That's okay. That's okay, right? And so here's the deal. I want to keep this verse up. This is what, it, this is what I want to do. God gave to the be, some to be apostles, right? Some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds. We call them elders or pastors at Mountain View. Some to be teachers to do what? Let's do that again. To do what? To equip, right? To equip. To equip who? Saints. Who are the saints? How many of you are Jesus-believing, Jesus-accepting, right, Jesus-obeying believers in Jesus? Then you would be considered a saint, all right? So let's do this again. I'm a pastor. Hi. 
right? I have been called by God to do what? Equip who? The saints to do what? The works of ministry. The works of ministry. So let's try this one more time. <laughs> Who's been called to ministry? Uh, excuse me. Let's try this again. Who's been called to ministry? That, that's right. That's right. And this is so important for us because I want all of you who are believers, I want you to believe with your whole heart that God is calling you to ministry to other people. Now, that doesn't mean you quit your jobs and become a pastor. That would be problematic for me, all right, because I want to be the pastor, all right? But that doesn't mean some of you, you have the best place to do ministry, and that's where you're working. That's where you're living. That's where you're going to school. That's where you're doing your life. But all of us, all of us, I want you to believe this with your whole heart that you've been called into the ministry to others. And so one more time, how many of you have been called? Yes. Yes. And I get it. I get it. As soon as I ask that question, the reservations and the excuses that start popping up, they're real, right? Some of us think, well, I don't know enough scriptures. I don't know enough information. I get nervous when I pray. I don't think I can make a difference. I've got this thing. Oh. <sighs> Well, let me talk to those of you in the room for just a minute who are very talented in ministry, very gifted in ministry, very educated in ministry. You have a lot of information. You have a lot of knowledge. You don't get nervous when you pray. You seize every opportunity that you have. I have really good news for those of you who fall into that category. God can use you too. <laughs> he can use you too. Why do I say that? Because as I've read and I've studied the New Testament, this is what I've learned. I've learned that God prefers and God specializes in ordinary, everyday people. Guess what? Now, who feels like an ordinary, everyday person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so God specializes in using everyday, ordinary, average people, and God is calling those of you who believe in Jesus, those of you who have accepted Jesus as your, as your Savior, right, and you're striving to live for Jesus and obey Jesus every day of your life, if you're striving to be more like Jesus, then you have the Spirit of God in you, and the Spirit of God in you is preparing you to make a difference in our world. Did you know that? Man, I want you to believe that in your whole heart. I want you to hold it in your heart. And remember this, God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. Who's been called to ministry? Us. Us. And so sometimes God asks us to do things. Has God ever asked you to do something? And maybe it was a pastor calling you up and saying, hey, you know what I think you'd be good at? right? Have you, ever, have you ever had a sense that you should do something and you totally felt inadequate to actually do it? Yes. Yes. And, and in, in, the, in that moment of feeling inadequate, what do we learn? We learn that God, what God does in his incredible God ways, he equips us and gives us everything we need to accomplish the task that he's called us to do. So God, he doesn't call the equipped. God, he's in the business of equipping the called. And what I want to do today for just a few moments is I want to learn a couple of lessons from a key character in the New Testament. His name is Peter. How many of you have heard of Peter before? 
Yes, Peter is a great guy, right? And so if you were to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to find that he is an ordinary, average, everyday guy. As a matter of fact, some say he was uneducated. He was just a, he was just a blue-collar work, work guy. He just, he just made, and he wasn't anything grandiose or special, right? He was just Peter. And if you would read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Peter, what you're going to find out is that often Peter messed up. And when he messed up, he usually messed up pretty big, right? And yet, yet God did extraordinary things through this very ordinary, average guy. One particular time after Jesus had died on the cross, been buried, rose from the dead, 40 days later he ascended into heaven, uh, this church thing started, right? When you read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. This church thing started. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they're just walking into the the temple one day, and guess what? There's a guy who has been lame since the birth. They just tell him he's healed. And this guy starts running around and, and jumping and leaping and all of these things, and guess what? This crowd gathers around Peter and John, and when you've just healed somebody and a crowd gathers around you, what do you do? You preach. And so what does Peter start doing? He starts preaching. He starts preaching. He starts telling, you hung Jesus on the tree. I mean, this was a pretty, maybe his best sermon. I'm pretty sure after he got done preaching the sermon, he went, where did that come from? All right? But he's like, you hung him on the tree. You, you should have been the one hung on the tree. I mean, he's just kind of laying it out there for him. So what happens is things start going crazy. And when you heal a guy and people listen to you preach, you get arrested. And so Peter and John, they get arrested, and the religious leaders, they gather together. And if you read Acts chapter 4, it's fascinating, because when they're gathered together, what are they gathering for? They're trying to figure out how to stop them. They're literally trying to gather together to see how they could stop Peter and John from preaching and stop these guys. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 13. This is what it says. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And isn't that a cool verse? These religious leaders, in other words, they're shocked that God could do so much incredible stuff through these ordinary, everyday, common people. That should make those of us who feel like everyday, ordinary, common people should make us feel pretty good, right? Here's what I really love. When you dig into the Greek and you look up the Greek for uneducated common, you know what the word is? Idiotes. 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 The word we get idiot from. Now, now understand, I was reluctant to share this because the word really has changed, and it changed drastically in the 13th and the 14th century, where really what it led to mean to a lame person, which is not the definition that would have been used when Luke wrote it in the book of Acts. So you got this word idiotes, a common human, an ignorant, or an unlearned person, an everyday, average, ordinary guy. You know what I love about Mountain View? is according to all you people who raised your hand and said, I'm ordinary, I am surrounded by a bunch of, you said it, not me. But I love this idea. Man, man, seriously, if I can be surrounded by a bunch of idiots for Jesus, let's do it, right? 
I mean, I mean, seriously. But here's what I love about this. The word is drastically changed, so please understand that. Look at verse 13 again. This is what it says. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, idiotes, right? They were astonished. Why were they astonished? Because they recognized that Peter and John had what? Been with Jesus. These religious leaders, they were astonished and they took note that these guys had been with Jesus. These ordinary, everyday, average guys were affecting life change. How did they do it? Listen, I, I, am more, I am even more excited to be a bunch, around a bunch of ordinary people who believe in Jesus, accept Jesus for who he is and who he said he was, and believe that Jesus can accomplish way more through us than we could ever dream or imagine for ourselves. And when Jesus came, he said, Les, I came to bring life. I came to bring life, and Jesus found 12 people, and he trained these 12 people. He helped these 12 people, and then Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. He showed up in the upper room with these 12 people, and then he said, listen, I'm going to leave this to you. You carry the gospel message on to the entire world, and you tell the entire world all about me. And you would think that if Jesus was going to do that, then he would have, when he picked his inner circle, the 12, that he would have picked the best writers. He would have picked the smartest and the brightest and the most educated. You would have thought that Jesus would have picked the wealthiest who, so that they could actually fund this mission. No. He didn't choose the best writers. He didn't choose the brightest, the most educated, and the wealthiest. Jesus chose ordinary people like uneducated fishermen like despised tax collectors. Jesus even picked one who was known for a bad temper. Jesus called everyday, ordinary people who believed in him, took Jesus at his words, and decided to do the things that Jesus did. And so I think today what I want to do for just a couple of moments is I want to share three distinctives of people who have been with Jesus. How do you tell somebody's been with Jesus? How did these guys who were trying to stop the Jesus movement recognize that these guys had been with Jesus? And I think the first trait, the first distinctive, the first characteristic of people who have been with Jesus is this. They surrender their entire lives to him. They surrender their entire lives to them. Sarah and I were at a bookstore up in Seattle this weekend, and I walk down the religious section, and I find this little guy. All right, it's a Jesus guy in a box, in a package. And what's fascinating about him is that he's moldable and bendable, stretchable, right? Just the way we like him. I mean, that's really how we like Jesus. We, we like Jesus, there he is. We like Jesus, my Jesus, to be flexible, stretchable, bendable, moldable, right? Because that way Jesus fits into my box, and I don't have to fit into his box. For $5.99, I could have gotten you your very own flexible Jesus. Just the way you like him. But that wasn't the case with Peter. When Peter was first called, Jesus said, hey, why don't you cast your nets and see if you can catch some fish? They said, we don't want to catch. Been... And they did. And this is Peter's response in Luke chapter 5, verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. And he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had just taken in. Also were the sons of, uh, so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, what did they do? They left everything. And they followed Jesus. When I read that, I'm like, who took care of the boats? Who took all the fish they just had? Like, like there was work to be done. There are things to be accomplished. What's, what's going on here? But according to Luke's investigation, what happened is the boats came to land. And Peter and James and John, they left it all. And they followed Jesus. Man, we left it all. This is the question that we have to ask ourselves. Another distinctive or another characteristic of people who have been with Jesus is this. They pursue more of him every day. Daily, they pursue more of him. And this is part of our mission, right? We want people to belong, grow, and serve. And when it comes to grow, uh, the challenge is this. Will you please seek to look more like Jesus next year than you do this year? Will you pursue Jesus? Will you begin to model your life after Jesus' life? Will you look more like Jesus? Because if you don't look more Jesus today than you did a year ago, man, Mountain View has failed you. You have failed yourself. There's always room for us to grow and pursue him more every single day. Daily pursue him. I, I love this with, Matt, with uh, Matthew. And Matthew and Luke and I think John all tell this story of the storm, but only Matthew tells us about the time that Peter got out of the boat and walked on water. Listen to this in Matthew chapter 14. It says, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Right? Flexible Jesus right there. Why don't you do what I need you to do and you tell me to come out and I'll walk on water with you. And so what did Jesus do? I wish I could have been there in this moment. Jesus says, bring it. Like, come on, Peter, come. And so Peter, he got out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, truly, you are the Son of Man. And this is what I love about this, because this must have been crazy to have witnessed. And ever since Peter began to sink, people who have read this have criticized him. Have you ever criticized Peter? Oh, the guy, he just had little faith, right? How many of you have heard this story before? Maybe you're not even in the church, never read the Bible, right? But you're familiar with Peter walking on water. And how many of you have ever thought, oh, Peter, 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 why did you have so little faith? Anybody ever criticized him? Have you ever heard a sermon where he was criticized? Yeah, I'm not going to criticize him because I've never tried it. And most critics who criticize him haven't tried it either. But I think when we examine Peter walking on water in response to Jesus' walking on water, we learn a couple of things, especially in light of pursuing Jesus more daily. First, look for Jesus and keep looking for Jesus. That's the lesson to be learned here. 
pursue him. How do we pursue him? We fix our eyes on Jesus and we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And we keep fixing our eyes on Jesus. And in our world where we live, we're totally, constantly, continually distracted to look other places, are we not? And so we have to be diligent in fixing our eyes on Jesus. And although there may be a storm that will surround us, anybody ever been in a storm? Literal or figurative? Some of you are in a storm right now. And what is the answer? Fix your eyes where? On Jesus. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus, especially when life is a storm. Look for Jesus. Keep looking for Jesus. What does, Jesus, what does looking to Jesus look like for you? What does it look like? I think another lesson we learn from, from Peter is this. When Jesus commands you, obey him. Jesus said to Peter, come on. What did Peter do? Even though it didn't make sense, even though there was a storm outside, Peter did what Jesus said to do. This is what obedience looks like, doing what Jesus says. Is there an area in your life where you're not obeying Jesus and you know it? And you've chosen that Jesus could be your flexible, bendable, moldable figurine instead of actually do what he asks you to do. What is faith? What does pursuing him daily look like? It looks like this. Peter got out of the boat. That was one step. Then he put one foot in front of the other foot, in front of the other foot, in front of the other foot. And some of us, we may not know how to get there. But today in my pursuit of Jesus, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other foot. And tomorrow, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put that foot in front of that foot. And I'm going to keep going until I either fall off or hit the steps here. I'm kind of in between, right? But that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. If you have your Bibles, who brought their Bibles today? I'm just curious. Turn to Matthew 29, all right? If you have your phone, how many of you have your phone for the Bible? All right, I didn't put this verse up there, but turn to Matthew 29 if you would. Matthew 29, great passage. Anybody there? There isn't a Matthew 29, but if there was, now that's not a mean trick. Listen, listen, I'm serious about this, all right? If there was a Matthew 29, I am pretty sure it would be Matthew writing about Jesus and Peter fishing on the boat one day. And, and if there was a Matthew 29, do you know what I think it would be about? It would be about Jesus sitting there and Peter saying, hey, Jesus, um, do you remember that one night? Do you remember that one night when I walked on water? Can we try that again? Just me and just you? Like, I just think that that would be the case. Why do I think that? This is why I think that. Because when you read Matthew 13, when you read Matthew 13, this is what Jesus said finding him would be like. This is what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has so that he can buy that field. And Jesus said again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl, one single pearl of great value, he went and sold everything that he had so that he could buy the one. What is pursuing Jesus daily like? It's acknowledging that he's the great prize. That he is the one item that is worth all the other items. 
that we would sell it all to get this. And so pursue him daily. The third characteristic is this. Have a relentless influence. Have a relentless influence. Acts chapter 5 says this. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. This is the conclusion of the religious leaders. For if this plan or this undertaking is of them, is of Peter and John and the other disciples of man, it will fail. But if this is of God, you will not be able to stop them. You will not be able to overthrow them. You, you might even be found opposing God. Listen, the reason we're here today is because you can't overthrow this thing. This is a movement of Jesus that is unstoppable. And when you have been with Jesus, you understand that you have a relentless influence that cannot be stopped, that cannot be overthrown. That the Spirit of God working in us call us into ministry to be Jesus wherever he has us so that we might have an influence and an impact in the world. Let me ask again, how many of you have been called to ministry? And I hope today you believe with your whole heart. And the question is, how, how does God want you to use your gifts to affect life change? Your talents to affect life change. Your abilities to affect life change. Maybe you don't have the gifts and the talents and the abilities yet, and yet you still have a deep sense that God is calling you and asking you to participate in some way that scares your socks off. And in those moments, seize them. Grab a hold of them. Do them. Why? Because it will be God who does it through you, not you. Now, I want to turn the page really quick. Whew. Looking at the clock. Hey, I still have an hour. <laughs> and some of you just got scared, didn't you? Let's fire up the coffee machine again, and we'll just keep going. How's that sound? I'll have four of us here. That's super. All right? Let me talk a little bit about the future of Mountain View. And specifically, what is our focus? What are some things that we're trying and striving to do this year? All right? And the first thing is this. Our leadership has talked and gathered, and, and our elders went on a retreat, and our staff has been studying and praying. And this is what we believe. We believe that Mountain View has had a great 50 years. It's been up and down and twists and turns. Listen, that's what happens in church life. All right, there's highs, there's lows, there's twists, there's turns, there's goods, there's bads. And, and uh, how many of you guys have ever been about a church for a long time? And maybe not just Mountain View, but any church. How many of you have ever experienced the ups and downs and the twists and turns? How many of you ever thought, what is up with church if this is what church is all about, right? Our goal is to eliminate those in the future. Really, that is our heart, all right? How do we do that? Simply put, when we talk about doing God's work, we talk about doing God's work God's way. You know usually where it goes wrong? When we try to do God's work our way or my way. 
And so we're committing really the next year just to stop and pause, not stop, that's the wrong language, but to pause and to be diligent in creating a vision for our church that will move us into the next five to 10 years. And so we need to ask questions like, what does God want to accomplish through us? What will, what will our ministries look like if we accomplish this? What, what kind of church is God calling us to be? And what does God prefer for the future of our church? What does he want it to look like? What do we sense God is leading us toward? What will our church look like in three years, in five years, in seven years, in 10 years? And here's the deal. In asking these questions, this is one of my fundamental beliefs. I believe our vision already exists. I believe it is. As a leadership, what we have to do is we have to take this year and we have to mine it, if you will. We have to dig deep. We have to go underneath to discover what our already exists, not yet vision is. Like there's a vision that exists, but we've not accomplished it. We've got to discover what it is. And so this is what I'm asking you to do because this is what our leadership is going to do. We are literally going to soak and saturate our church and our leadership in prayer. That's what I want us to accomplish as we discover what God's vision is for Mountain View, not our vision for Mountain View, but God's vision for our church and what we want to accomplish. I want Mountain View to be a place where we continue to fill a, a relational void, where we're able to broker meaning and purpose in one another's lives, where we can embrace selflessness like Jesus did, where we deal hope and where we leverage hope and where we give hope to the hopeless, and we make our mission of affecting life change our mission. And so what I want to ask you to do boldly and courageously, and I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for our staff. I want you to pray for our elders. And I want you to pray for our leadership team at Mountain View. And if you don't already and you call Mountain View your church home, man, please start making this a practice once a week. Once a week. Drive into church on Sunday morning. Just pray for us. Because we want to do what God is leading us to do. Does that make sense? And so that's the first part. The second part is this. We, uh, our, Rise is moving out. And, and the reason that we partnered with Rise is because I believe every church should be a part of multiplication and, and planting churches. And, and so our ability five and a half years ago was not able to fund um, a church plant, but we were able to leverage our facility for a church plant. Does that make sense? And so this past fall, we have started a partnership with Movement Church. Movement Church is a church plant in southeast Portland, and we gave them some funds. We gave them $7,500 total, uh, $5,000 for missions, and $2,500 from the money that you helped us collect in December uh, in the Christmas offering, all right? And we want to partner with this church. Part of the reason I love this church is because I've really gotten to know Sam and Kelsey Wake, and they are the church planters. They have two girls, all right? They moved here because they felt a call from God, seriously. Like, he was, he was trying to determine what God was calling him to do. He was seeking God, and he couldn't get Portland out of his mind. Couldn't get it out. And so he decided, we're going to Portland. I think God wants us to plant a church in Portland, all right? And if you know Sam, and you're going to hear from Sam actually in May, he'll be here to share with us, all right? You'll get to know him. I think you're going to fall in love with him. Part of the reason I love being around him is he's such a different leader than I am. He's kind of that type A fly, like, just, just, just try it. I'm like, let's calculate the cost first, all right? Let's, let's do some of that. Uh, Sam goes for it. Sam's model for church is totally backwards than any other model. At Mountain View and in the history of the church, you know what we try to do? Get people where first. 
here first. Not in Sam's model. He's like, people that he's trying to reach, they're not coming to this first. You know when they come to this? Third. You know their biggest gathering is the night that they go out and serve the community. He can get neighbors who don't believe in Jesus. He can get friends who don't believe in Jesus. He can get coworkers because he's, he's, he's bivocational, right? He, he can get people to go serve in the name of Jesus before, long before he can get them into church. And even before he gets them to church, you know where he gets them? Into a small group. So if he can get them to serve and then he can get them into a small group, he has a chance at actually getting them to their Sunday gathering. I want you to meet these guys so bad. And I want to find ways where we can partner with them. Uh, this is one of their gatherings. The next picture is one of the baptisms. Uh, they baptize in the Willamette River, probably the last place I'd prefer to be baptized, all right? <laughs> but it's pretty cool. Um, as part of this, I'm on his church plant partnership team, all right? And so we're kind of providing the oversight. Since it's a church plant, he doesn't have church leaders yet. Uh, I'm on a team of several other people. Uh, a guy from Indiana, a guy from Washington, a couple of people from Portland, and I think I'm the only pastor. No, there's another pastor on the team, right? But this, this is super work that God's doing, and so will you pray for Movement Church? I got to keep going. I also want us to focus on our next generation ministries. I love what Reggie Joyner says. This is what he says. Our fight should really be for the mission of the church and for the mission of the family. Instead of trying to have, a bigger, have bigger churches or better families, when it comes to entities that God has created specifically to make disciples and accomplish his mission of influencing a generation to have a stronger, deeper, and more authentic relationship with God, there is the church and there is the family, nothing else. And so we have... We have Katie and we have Christian who are trying to figure out how to be next generation pastors. And what do I mean by that? Well, listen, there's this gnarly fifth grade class that's moving up to sixth grade, which means they move from Katie's ministry up into uh, middle school. Christian has no idea what's on his way. Does he, Caleb? Yeah, yeah. That's one of them right there, all right? No idea what he's got coming. So how do we make that transition great? And then next week, for example, we have a worship all together Sunday. This is the Sunday where we invite our students to come sit in our church with their families. And why? Because we want you to make relational connections. Why? Because at some point they're going to graduate high school and we want them to have a connection with this, not just that. Does that make sense? And so we want to help parents become the spiritual leaders in the home. We do. We, we want kids need parents who will help them in advance in their relationship with God. And then we want to come alongside and we want to partner with parents who need that help to be the spiritual leaders. And we need churches, our church needs leaders to do less for kids and do more for families. Why? Because we just have to do that. Make sense? So we invest in VBS, we invest in our kids' camps in the summers. Why? For relational intention. We do a Mexico mission trip that we invite the whole family to be a part of. Ask the White Hills their experience. I think they're exhausted. Are you still exhausted from our Mexico trip last year? No, right? Right? But ask them. They went as a whole family. Ask them about that experience, what it was like. Yeah, we'd pay money and go serve in Mexico together as a family. The benefit outweighs the cost, I promise you. I've got to move on. Last big thing that we're going to focus on this year and really try to be intentional about. We have a partnership with Missions of Hope International, 
in Nairobi, Kenya. You guys have heard about this. How many of you sponsor a child in the Gitu Through Center in Nairobi? Yeah, this is, this is our church partnership. It's a valley, right? It's a mile and a half long by a half mile wide, and there's over 800,000 people who live in it. All right? Get to Thuru, the community where we sponsor uh, in this valley is, is about seven acres, the core of it, about seven acres, and it's 40,000 people on that seven acres. Mountain View sits on 6.66 acres. All right? I know, bad number, so we rounded up 6.7 acres. All right? Could you imagine, could you imagine 40,000 people on 6.7 acres? That's where this school center is, this health center, this spiritual center. It's where the center is that we sponsor as a church through our global missions impact. This was their prayer request in December. Please join us in prayer for the continued growth of Get to Through Center, for God's providence, so that we can put up a permanent structure to ease congestion in our classes, for the sponsorship of our unsponsored pupils. I like pupils. Pray for the peace and unity of God to reign in families since there's a lot of family disagreements that cause separation that affect our children's well-being. We want to be an answer to one of those prayers. Really all of them, but specifically one of them. We've partnered with the Get to Through Center since 2011. They've been in temporary structures of, of literally sticks and tin on unlevel ground. And we just believe we believe, and it's been on our hearts since last March when we came back from our Africa trip, that God wanted to use us to do something about this building problem. And so our missions team started praying, and our missions team has designated $16,000. It's kind of seed money to start this initiative. The project is about $480,000. So guess what? I don't anticipate that we're going to do this tomorrow. But I do anticipate this that we're going to try to make a difference. We're going to try to have an impact. And when you have the ability to give above and beyond what you're able to give to this project, I would invite you to do that. It might take us five years to accomplish, but I believe that God wants us to do this. I do. I believe that we get to be the answer. And we want to make sure that whether it's a dollar or whether it's $100,000, right, that God is honored, God is glorified, we work together. We also know that Mountain View can't do it by ourselves. And so there are some other churches that are sponsoring the Get to Through community. We're going to invite them to join us in this effort also. But we want to build this building in this valley right there. That's what we want to do. Could you imagine what difference that can make? Why is this important? One of the reasons is because if the government ever, ever thinks about shutting down a school, they can take down tins and sticks. They can't take down cinder block and rebar. Honest. And because we know that the environment where we learn about things is key and critical and important. So my question for you today is this. What's God asking you to do? As you consider Mountain View as your church home, and this is the place where you call church, what difference is God asking you to make? How can he use you to affect life change? In your daily life? And maybe even across the oceans in Nairobi, Kenya. Would you just take your communication card? Maybe hold it for just a second. 
Maybe close your eyes. You can even bow your head. Just ask God with open hands, with open arms, with open hearts and open ears. Ask God, God, what are you calling me to do? God, what difference can I make? God, maybe, maybe I'm like Peter and I make a mess of everything I touch. In what way can you use me? God, I'm yours. I want to be flexible and moldable and bendable. I don't want you to be that way. And so God, mold me, shape me, bend me into what you want me to be. Maybe today that can be your prayer. Maybe today you can say, God, use me. Here I am. I'm all yours. I'm all yours. And I'm all in. Would you stand with me? It's possible that you have something maybe just as a prayer to write on that communication card. Maybe you specifically have an answer of a way that God wants to use you. Man, write it down. Write it down. We're going to sing a song. And the song is, is titled, Build My Life. And I, and I just want this to be your prayer today. Man, open your hands, open your ears, open your eyes, open your heart. And just say, God, I'm yours. Use me. I want to make a difference for your kingdom. I want to have an impact. God, I'm here. We're also going to ask the ushers to pass the offering bag here in a moment. Why? Because while we're singing the song, that's a part of it. Drop your offering. Drop the communication card. But whatever, maybe you didn't even, maybe you don't do that. Grab that handle. And when you grab the handle, would you say, God... Use everything that's given to this church to have an impact, to make a difference, to affect life change. Sing this out with your whole heart. Ushers, please come.